shouldn't be no argument about this. The best basketball film of all time is Space Jam. It is not Air Bud, and it is not, what's that Kevin Durant uh, basketball movie? Is it Struck or Thunder, whatever it is? Space Jam is the best basketball film of all time. The film depicts a fictionalized account of what happened between Jordan's initial retirement from the NBA in 1993 and his comeback in 1995, in which he is enlisted by Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, y'all know what I'm talking about this morning, and the rest of the Looney crew to help them win a basketball match against a group of aliens who want to enslave them for their amusement park. Here's what the Looney Tunes understood. They needed someone on their side greater than them to defeat enemies bigger than them. Let me say that one more time. Here's what the Looney, Tune, the Looney Tunes understood. They needed someone on their side greater than them to defeat enemies bigger than them. I thought I would have got more amens than that, but that's okay because I'm coming your way. So, therefore, they recruited Jordan from another world to enter Looney World to save them from the Monstars. Who else to call on than Michael Jordan if your freedom depends on a basketball game? Friends, there is something about having the right person on your side that changes the game. This is why Facebook have those questions. If if you had to build your team and you could pick whatever point guard you want, whatever shooting guard you want, uh, Facebook understands that it depends on who's on your team that decides whether you will win. Okay, y'all didn't get the basketball one. How about spades? I got any spade players in the room? When people play spades with people they never played before, and they decide to be on their team. They look them right in the eye and they ask them this question. Man, can you play for real? Because if you renege and I get set, it's going to be a problem. Okay, some of y'all don't play space. How about this? There's something about having the right person on your team. Remember rock, paper, oh yeah, good clean game, good Christian game, good holy game, rock. Paper, scissors, rock, beat, scissors, scissors, beat, paper, and paper, beat, rock. And then out of nowhere, somebody got ungodly, and they said, rock, paper, scissors, God. I'm like, hold up. How you going to throw God in a rock, paper, scissor game? It don't matter, homie. I win. Can't nothing beat God. And I say, well, you about right. Can't nothing beat God and you win the game. And this is what Paul wants to say to us this morning. As long as God is on your team, it doesn't matter who's against you. Paul is desirous of us to understand that God on our, on our team makes all of the difference. This is what Paul has been laboring to show us for the last eight chapters of Romans, that God is on our side. God has entered our loony world to rescue us from the monsters that war against us, our flesh, the world, and Satan. Our flesh, 
the world in Satan. Everything ain't Satan's fault. Some of it got something to do with you. I know you're not going to talk to me this morning and you want to blame everything on the devil, but the Bible does say that the world is against you and that your flesh is against you and that the devil is against you. Now, don't get me wrong. Satan is real and we need to be aware of his deceitful schemes. But God entered our loony world and you know how he entered our loony world. He entered it through the Lord Jesus Christ, the God man who was born of a virgin. Yes, Jesus was born of a virgin. Why did he come? Well, Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 is very clear. She would bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. Watch it now. For he will save his people from their sin. He will save his people from their sin. That doesn't land on you rightly until you understand that you're a sinner in need of grace and headed to hell without Jesus coming into the world. Why did we need to be saved from our sins? Here it is, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against sinners. God does not like sinners. God does not get along with sinners, and sinners don't get along with God. God is in opposition with sinners, and justly so. But God sends God the Son into the world so that we could be reconciled to him. Let me make it plain. Jesus died for sin because God is against sinners. But we learned last week all that God has done to take us from sinners to saints. We learned last week all that God has done to take us from sinners to saints. God foreknew us in love, predestined us to sonship, called us from death, declared us righteous, and is working in us from one degree of glory to another until the great and glad day of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the conclusion of all of this? God is for us. This is where our text leads us today. Every Christian who understands salvation should without a doubt realize that God is for them. In spite of what the circumstances say, God works our salvation out for our good. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your suffering is, no matter what your circumstance is, the Bible speaks louder than it, and it says that God is for you. God is for us, saints. And we see this in verse 31. Look at the word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, that'll preach all by itself. I'm going to say it one more time because it didn't land on you the way that I wanted it to land on you. Let me say it again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, there's the question. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer, church, obviously is no one. Now, Paul uses that conditional word, if, but it's not intending to raise doubt in your heart, saints. We could retranslate 
what Paul is saying here by saying, since God is for you, who could possibly be against you? What is the question answering? It is a rhetorical question. It is meant to be self-answering. It's answering the predicament that Paul had himself pointed to in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And I know sometimes the saints got amnesia, so let me remind you of what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. Paul says, God was against us. That's what Paul said. So how could it be that God could be for us if he was against us? Well, Paul spent eight chapters explaining how God is for you in Jesus Christ. And if God is for you in Jesus Christ, then Paul raises this question to your soul this morning. What could possibly matter if anybody else or anyone is against you? You see, Paul is not saying that nobody is against the Christian. He's not saying there's no opposition for the Christian. No, Paul is not saying that. When we get saved, we are filled with the Spirit, and now we have a fight against our old selves. And if I could be honest this morning, I felt when I became a Christian, I had more stuff against me than when I was, before I was a Christian. It seems like when you get saved, all hell breaks loose. Let me bring it home to you. It's like when you get married. It's something about when you say, I do, it seems like Satan says, I'm on your heels, partner. It seems like when you get saved, everything is against you. The dark kingdom of darkness is against you. Friends that once called, once called you brother or sister who used to run and do the things you do ain't cool with you no more. They're against you. Mm-hmm. It seems like your boss, when you uh, uh, speak up and say that I believe in Jesus, your boss is now against you. But what Paul is saying, it really doesn't matter who's against you. If God is for you, it really doesn't matter if they are against you. Paul is being clear here that there is things against us, but it does not matter. There is no surprise that the world is against us. It's no surprise that Satan is against us. Because we see in John chapter 15, verse 18, this is Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I, you know, I really get hung up on Christians. I really don't understand because Christians sometimes, especially in America, we believe that everything should be comfortable and everything should be our way and we shouldn't, we shouldn't have no opposition. And as soon as we have opposition, we're questioning God, saying, God, I thought you were on my side. I thought you loved me. God, I've been going to church. I've been reading my word. I've been praying. God, I thought everything was going to be okay. But Jesus said, if they hated me and I'm perfect and I'm all good. What makes you think that they not going to be against you? Here's Paul and Timothy. I love the Bible because it keeps it real and it keeps it 100. Here's what Paul says. Indeed, all who desire, watch it, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, let me read it again. Let me read it again because I want to make, make sure they get this, Rick. I want to make sure that they get this. Here it is. Let me show you. Indeed, all who desire, go ahead and swallow if you need to, to live a godly life 
in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I know you're cute. I know you got your hair done. I know you're looking good, but I came to tell you that being in Jesus doesn't mean the absence of persecution. In fact, it may increase persecution. So we know Paul is not saying nothing is against us. What he is saying is it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who's against you. I love, he's getting to the same point that little Wayne was trying to get at when he says, what's a goon to a goblin? Oh, y'all don't know that music. Y'all know, oh, okay, y'all know what I'm talking to. Y'all didn't have y'all radios on 92.3 when you came in. Y'all want to act like y'all had it on 90.1 the whole time. But little Wayne said, what's a goon to a goblin? And pretty much what he's saying is pretty much that a goon to a goblin is nothing. If God is on your side, no opposition is worth taking account of compared to God being for you. If you've been reconciled to God, if that enmity with God and God's enmity towards you has been solved in Jesus Christ, lean in on this church. There is no opposition worth considering. Here's why. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver you from them all. Every single last one of them. There is no affliction that will destroy you, saint. God won't let it happen. God Almighty says so. Friends, if God is for you, deliverance is inevitable. It is inevitable. I believe Marvel understood this, that if God is for you, who can be against you? And the reason why I believe that Marvel understands this is because they created this glove called the gauntlet. You guys know the gauntlet glove, and within that gauntlet glove, they created what? Infinity stones. You gather the infinity stones and you put them inside of the gauntlet glove. But they wasn't getting nothing past me because I was seeing with my theological eyes, I know what y'all doing here. Y'all pretty much have taken the attributes of God and put it in a glove. Y'all don't believe me? Watch this. They got one stone called the soul stone. Y'all, oh, y'all know what I'm talking about? The soul stone. Remember they had to jump off the cliff and they had to sacrifice their life in order to obtain the soul stone. This is what it does. At full potential, the soul gem grants the user control over all life in the universe. I said, hold on, now that's God right there. Y'all not going to trick me. Here it is. I seen it in John 17, 3. Here it is. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. God possessed the real soul stone, but hold on. They tried to trick me with the time stone. Y'all remember Dr. Strange, the crazy dude, head moving in different directions. He had control over time. They thought they were going to pull one over on me. But here's what the time stone does. At full potential, the time gem grants the user omniscience and total control over the past, present, and future. Now, tell me that don't sound like Yahweh right there. Uh, just in case you didn't believe me, I bought a Bible verse with me. I found it in Isaiah 46.10. I say, Marvel, oh God, some money. They've been stealing from him. Here it is. I make known the end 
from the beginning. Friends, I felt the real Dr. Strange. But hold on, they got another stone called a space stone at full potential. Chris, in my own point still. Okay, the space stone. At full potential, the space gym grants the user omnipresence. Hold on, that sounds a whole lot like God. So I went to my Bible. I found Jeremiah 23, 24, and here it is. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Where can you run that God is not? Where can you go that God is not? The Bible says darkness is like light to him. I know what you're doing, Marvel. You're stealing the attributes of the Almighty God. Here's one more. The mind stone. At full potential, the mind gym can access all minds in existence simultaneously. I didn't put the verse up here, but you remember that when Peter came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'll never betray you. Jesus already knew what Peter would do, not only that day, but a few days later. I don't know if you know what kind of God we serve, but we serve a God that is able to search our inner being, who knows all of our thoughts. And here it is. Just when I thought I was done, here's the reality stone. Okay, that's what y'all want to go there. And full potential. The reality gym allows the user to alter reality on a universal scale. I came to tell you that all reality exists because God decided for it to exist because he's the ultimate reality. And if he doesn't decide for you to exist, you will no longer be in a reality. And here's the last one. It almost made me shout and do a backflip. I said, Marvel, y'all something else. The power stone. Okay, y'all didn't catch me. I said the power stone. I said, okay, the power stone. It's the thing that when Captain Marvel ran up on Thanos, he took the gym out the glove. As powerful as she was, when you got the power stone at full potential, it gives you omnipotence. And so when she ran up on Thanos, he took the power stone and he knocked her back because it's just that powerful. But I know a God who's more powerful than the power stone. His name is Yahweh. All power is in his hands. And if you don't believe me, the Bible says on the third day he got up out of the grave. But you ought to shout right now because the Bible says the same power that raised him from the dead is the same power at work in you. Amen and amen. Friends, here's what I gathered. Even Marvel understands that God can't be beat. It doesn't matter who's against the glove. It matters who the glove is for. Doesn't matter if you got Captain America on your team. If the glove is against you. Doesn't matter if Iron Man is on your team. If the glove is against you, and as bad as Iron Man is, Jayla, I know he's bad, but it doesn't matter if you got, doesn't matter if you got Black Panther on your team, as bad as he is, and oh yeah, Wakanda forever and vibranium, doesn't matter if you got him, if the glove is not on your side, doesn't matter if you got Spider-Man with all of his spider senses, if the glove is against you, it doesn't matter how many superheroes you got on your team, if the glove is more powerful than them all. Y'all ain't tracking me yet. What I'm trying to help you understand is that God is different than the glove. They had to obtain those attributes. But we serve a God that that's his being. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. This didn't come into being. This is who he is and who he always will be.
Whoever has the glove has all the power in their hand, all the time, all the knowledge in their hands. Friends, the parallel is the God we serve is a God who is all-powerful. He's a God that is over all time. He's a God who has all knowledge in his hands. But the difference is that these things cannot be taken away from him because they are part of his essence. If you ever get a chance, dig deep, dive deep into the attributes of God. It'll do something well for your soul. You know, Gideon had to learn this. Gideon had to learn that if God is for you, it doesn't really matter who's against you. Y'all remember Gideon in the Old Testament, right? Strong Gideon, fighting Gideon, warrior Gideon. I love Gideon. I love the story. It's in the book of Judges, just in case you don't read your Bible. Just go on over to the book of Judges. It'll be right there. And here it is, Gideon is getting ready to go out to battle. He's getting ready to go to war. He inquires of God about whether he would have the victory or not. And here's the thing. Gideon had thousands of men with him. And you know what God does. God says, you got too many. Although you're going up against 100,000, Gideon, you got too many men. Won't you go and trim that down some? And so God brings the number down just a little bit more. Gideon said, okay, God, am I all right? No, you're not all right, Gideon. You got too many men on your side. I need you to bring it down a little bit more. God brings them down to 300 men. It's 300 against 100,000. You know who should win the battle. But the point that God is trying to make is that it's not by might. It's not by strength, but it's by my power. God loves to work in such a way so that he gets all of the glory, so that the army doesn't get the glory, so that the horses doesn't get the glory. And sometimes God will trim things down in your life and he'll take things away so that you'll know without a shadow of a doubt that it wasn't by your strength. It wasn't by your knowledge. It was because God was gracious and good and on your side. Okay, that didn't help you. Let me take you to another scene in the Bible. You remember David, King David, little David. Before he became king, he was in his daddy's backyard. He was tending sheep. He was tending lamb. He was a shepherd boy. He was a strony boy. When Samuel seen him, he overlooked him. He said, surely this cannot be the king that God is looking for. And then it says a famous verse that man looks on the outside, but hallelujah, God looks on the inside. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make because when David was in the backyard, he came and showed us something that God is not afraid of lions and tigers and bears. I know that Dorothy was afraid of lions and tigers and bears, but when you got God on your side, even the beast can't do nothing with you. David said, Saul, y'all don't remember when he got in front of King Saul, he had his, uh, 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 he got in front of King Saul and Saul said, go and put that armor on. And David said, no, no, I ain't gonna ever do that. Uh, let me tell you about my resume. Um, I don't know if you looked at it, Saul, but let me remind you that when I was in my daddy's backyard, when there was no army, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. Saul, you need to understand. And this is what y'all don't get. And this is why y'all scared. Because y'all don't understand that when Yahweh is on your side, no uncircumcised Philistine can't take you down. Okay, I think I'm getting my point. Let me give you one more. You remember the three Hebrew boys. Y'all remember the three Hebrew boys? They had the whole nation against them. The king was against them. The furnace was against them. And this is what gets me. The king de decrees 
for them to be thrown into the furnace because they won't bow down and worship him. Now watch this. The cat that took him to the furnace to throw him in, he didn't even get in the furnace, but he burned up before he got in the furnace. And the three guys who were in the furnace didn't die. You want to know why they didn't die? Because when God is on your side, it doesn't matter what's against you. It doesn't matter the fire of the trial. It doesn't matter how big the storm is. It doesn't matter how things get. If God is on your side, you're going to be all right. But let us approach this with humility. Because our victories over the world, our victories over the flesh, our victory over the devil. Don't look down on your lost neighbor. Don't look down on people in the world, Christian. Y'all know how we get. I can't believe. Y'all remember that face, the stank face we get? I can't believe that they would indulge in something like that. We hear a cuss word and we feel like we're going to fall out. Right? We, we, we smell weed on them. We, we get to talking about them. Come on. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Yeah, 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 we forget, we get amnesia as if God ain't delivered us from nothing. Oh, but let me step into your closet because I know you still struggle with stuff. I know you still got skeletons in your closet. You may not tell nobody you look cuter than when you used to, but if the truth be told and we were to completely explode your tail, we would know that you ain't as holy as you think that you are. And here's the reality. The only reason why your tail in church today is because God is still on the throne and keeping you. The Bible says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne of his glorious grace. You don't ever forget it, Christian. The only thing that's holding you up is the grace of God. That's it. God took his grace from you today. You're done. You're done. None of your battles that you won is because of you. Fornication should have killed you. Pornography should have ruined your marriage. Depression should have killed you. Anger should have destroyed you. But what are those things to God? But light work is nothing to him but a drop in a bucket. Here's the thing. The opposite is true. If God is against you, woe to you. The opposite is true. If God is against you, woe to you. I love the way the book of Hebrews put it. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is inevitable that you will lose. You see, the Bible is clear that God is against every sinner, not just in the future, but right now. And oh, the terror to stand someday before the Almighty God and to feel in our souls what Jesus felt on the cross, judgment, wrath of the Almighty God. God is either going to deal with your sin in one or two ways. Either he's going to deal with it on the cross or he's going to deal with it in hell forever. You don't want to be on the wrong side of the glove. Y'all remember that snap? Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's all good. He snapped that finger. Now, most people go, go about their lives and don't give a second thought about God being against them. It doesn't bother them. 
But in Romans, we learn that God is storing up wrath for the day of judgment. People think God doesn't care about their sins. People think that God is cool because he puts food on their, on their table and he put clothes on their back and he gives them a job. And when they get those things, they say, God must love me. God has favor for me. But the Bible says that his rain falls on the just and the unjust. And just because God put food on your table and clothes on your back does not mean that God is cool with you. God just loves his enemies. I wish we would put that into practice in church. We'll be all right. But they don't feel anything. Sinners don't feel anything, so they fornicate freely. They lie relentlessly. They harm children. Husbands meet treat wives. People in power oppress people, unjust towards the poor. And we think because we slap God on our money that God is for us. Oh, no, the wrath of God is coming, church. Jesus said it this way. I love the way Jesus puts it. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, feel this church, they were eating and drinking. Okay, let me say it in a way that you can They was kicking and chilling. Okay, and they were getting married. They was doing their thing, stacking their bread, getting their cheese. However you need to get this, let me help you out. Until the day... When Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. God is going to show up out of nowhere. His wrath is going to come out of nowhere when everything is just the way that it is, and he's going to crack the sky, and he's going to be like, homie, I'm back. And all those who are on his side, they're good. And all those who are against him, he will crush. If God is against you, who can be for you? Friends, someday it will not matter who you were, who your friends were, what your accomplishments, how rich you were, how in shape or beautiful you were, how educated you were. Them degrees ain't going to save you. How powerful you were. If God is against you, who can be for you? Or Jesus says, what does it profit a man? to gain the whole world, and yet lose his soul. What does it profit a man? To gain everything and lose his soul in the end. What does it matter? If you lose your soul in the end, come to Jesus, friends. Come to Jesus Come to Jesus. His arms are still open. He's still waiting, and he's ready to receive any sinner that would open his mouth and call on the name of the Lord. Come to Jesus. This verse cuts both ways, and you got to ask yourself this question this morning. Which side are you on? Are you on the for side, or are you on the against side? But let me with great joy and great gladness declare to the saints in the room, you are on the four side. You are on the four side. Let me prove it to you. The Bible says that we know that God is for us because the cross speaks that God is for us. Get your thinking caps on and dig deep and hold your shout because this is good all by itself. Paul knows many of us will struggle to believe that God is for us. 
Can we be honest in this room? Sometimes it's your circumstance that makes it hard for you to believe that God is for you. Have you ever doubted in your own soul, in your own circumstance, whether God was for you? Have you ever been through darkness so great that it made you doubt whether God was for you? Have you ever felt pain that rocked your faith that made you wonder if God is for me? You know, Gideon wasn't really sure if God was for him. So what did he do? Here's what the Bible said Gideon did. Then Gideon said to God, if you would save Israel by my hand, as you have said, did you catch that? God told him that he was going to do it. But Gideon needed some proof. Watch it. I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hands as you have said. Gideon needed a sign. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew for the fleece to fill a bowl with a water with water. You see, Gideon had one of those moments where he said, God, if you real, will you move this chair? Or oh, y'all ain't never been in that situation. God, if this husband's supposed to be mine, would you make him wear that cologne that I like? God, if this job is for me, help me to pass this drug test that you know I shouldn't pass. Can we just be honest this morning? I'm just being honest this morning. God, if you're for me, would you let me get all the answers on the test right? Y'all ain't never been in that moment when you just needed something to, 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 to prove that God was for God, if you for me, when I swipe this card, let it go through. Y'all ain't going to talk to me this morning. Matter of fact, give me a moment. I need to pray that right now. Father, when I get out of church, if you don't mind, before we hit the bank account, let it go through. Blind their eyes. Don't let them see it, Lord. They don't need to see it. Lord, if you, you know those the kind of signs that we, we ask for, we, we do silly stuff like that. But friends, this morning I came to tell you that God is not going to give you a sign. The only sign that he's going to give you is the Lord Jesus Christ because there is no greater sign for him to give than his son himself. Oh, here it is in the verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Let me encourage you right now. You're going to want to tuck this verse away in the pocket of your heart because you're going to need this one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously or freely give us all things? All right, I want to preach it how I feel it. The verse begins with a statement of fact upon which an argument is made from the greater to the lesser. If this greater thing is true, then this lesser thing must be as well. But I don't think we fully comprehend this. But I need us to get and to grasp the magnitude of this. God the Father, let me teach for a moment. God the Father loves God the Son. He loves him. Okay. 
but the love between them is greater than the love you got for your boyfriend, okay? The love that he has for him is greater than the love you got for your video game, okay? Are y'all with me? Yeah. The love that God has for the son is more love than you have for your shoes in your closet. Yeah. God, the love that he has is greater. Let me help you out. Take all the energy in the world. Take all the energy on every planet. Take all the energy from every comic superhero, plus all the energy in the gauntlet glove, times that by a billion, and you still don't even come close to how much the father loves the son. But here's the thing, church. So much as he loves him, he did not spare him, but gave him up for you. God could have stopped his death. Could he not? Remember the power song, right? He does have all power in his hand. He could have stopped his death, but he didn't. Who killed Jesus? The Bible says the father did. Just in case you didn't believe me, I brought a verse. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God killed God the Son. That was the greater part, folks. That was the hard part. That was the hardest thing God has ever done. He did not spare his son. And the father for all eternity longed to answer this question that Jesus yeeked out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can I answer that for you this morning? What would it have looked like if God the Father had spared God the Son? Adam and Eve sinned, all their descendants sinned. Every single human being in this room upon physical death would be rightly judged and immediately sent to eternal hell. God would have been completely just in doing that, and Jesus would not have gone through the humiliation and the incarnation nor the suffering of the cross. Let me put it plain. Sparing Jesus means that God would have not spared us. In order to spare us from hell, he had to not spare his son, Jesus Christ. You don't need cologne. You don't need a test. You don't need a bank account to ask to know whether God is for you. You go back to A.D. 33, and you look at when they hung him high, and they stretched him wide, and he hung his head, and for you and me, he died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. If you want to know if God is for you, you look at the cross. How do we live in this? How do we rest in this? What do we do with the reality of this truth? Because I know we sing about it, but I wonder if we're walking in it. I wonder if we're standing on it. Let me help you, friends. Here's the issue. We are often dependent on things that are not holding us up. 
We are often standing on things that are not winning the battle for us, but we're giving it credit. Let me go back to Space Jam and help you out. You remember when the Looney Tunes, they were down in the game and they went into the locker room and Jordan was trying to give them a pep talk, but they just didn't believe that they could win the game. And Bugs Bunny goes over to the water fountain. Are y'all with me this morning? He fills up the water bottle. He writes on it, special stuff. And so they take the water bottle. They take a little bit of the water and all of a sudden they are pumped up, but then they get back in the game and all of a sudden they're down again. And they say, Jordan, do you got some more of that special stuff? And Jordan say, that wasn't nothing but water. Friends, the things that you think that you're standing on are not holding you up. It's the grace of God holding you up. It's his hand holding you up. Let me give it to you like this, and then I'm in my seat. I love this insurance commercial. Y'all remember Allstate. I'm almost done. God bless you and he keep you. Y'all remember Allstate. I love the Allstate commercial. Tree falls on your car. Out of nowhere comes a guy with the deep voice. Allstate stand. Are you in good hands? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. People get in a car accident. Their home get blown up. What happens? The man comes out of nowhere. Allstate stand. Are you in good hands? Friends, I came to tell you this morning, he ain't got a gauntlet glove on, but Thomas doubted him. He said, feel the holes in my hands. Do you know, Thomas, that these hands are upholding you and nothing can snatch you out of my hands. Friends, he may not be all state, but he's all that you need when he's water, when you need him to be water. He's truth when you need him to be truth. He's whatever you need him to be. The question is, are you in good hands? Oh, Moses understood when he got up to the Red Sea and Pharaoh was on his way to crush him and God says Moses are you in good hands you better believe it he split the Red Sea but if that didn't help you remember blind Bartimaeus he couldn't see he was born blind the people were talking about him they said he was no good but what blind Bartimaeus didn't know that he was in good hands friends it doesn't matter what's against you as long as the hands of the Almighty surrounding you. Friends, do you believe that you're in good hands? Good hands doesn't mean that calamity won't happen. It doesn't mean that trouble won't come. It doesn't mean that husbands won't walk out. It doesn't mean that the job will not be lost. It doesn't mean that sickness will not come. It doesn't mean that you'll always have spiritual zeal. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you'll always be on fire for God. It doesn't mean that your love for God will be perfect. It doesn't mean that. But what, what it does mean, what, what it does mean is that when it all goes down and when the bottom drops out, you're going to find out that there's a rock at the bottom. And that rock is the Lord Jesus Christ, the everlasting rock. And one day... You're going to need that rock, and you're going to need to know that if God is for you, who can be against you?